Go on then. What are we watching? Oh, what about... Uh... In the... Uh, with Sky Stream. The new way to get Sky without a dish. Stream unmissable Sky exclusives like True Detective and Netflix shows like The Gentleman all in one place. For just €25 a month for 12 months. Search Sky Stream today. New customers only. 12-month minimum term. Requires broadband. Further terms apply. Hey there. Enjoying the episode? Pretty good, right? Before we get back to it, how about a quick break to share your thoughts and win big. You could bag yourself a €500 one-for-all voucher. Ready to enter? Head to mypodcastfeedback.com, pop in the code THROW, and fill out the short survey. Too gross right now? No problem. You can also find the survey link in the show notes. Go on, make your opinion heard, and good luck. Board Gosh Energy, putting customers at the core of under-20 and senior hurling championship action. Hashtag hurling to the core. Hello and welcome to the Throw-In Independent.ie's GA podcast in association with Board Gosh Energy. I'm Will Slattery, delighted to be joined in studio for the last time in 2019, single tear rolling down my cheek <laughs> by Michael Verney. Michael, hello. How are you, Will? Good, the end of an era. Well, for, for the year anyway. Yeah, yeah, it was, um, it was a great finish to the year in fairness, wasn't mm. it? I still think that the first half of the game last Saturday night was probably the best, probably the best half of football I've seen. I can't... Far off the best half football I've seen. I thought the first half Big was absolutely shout. unbelievable. Yeah. Big shout. As yeah, as thirty five minutes of football go, I don't think there was much better. I thought it was unbelievable. For a for a big game like Dublin carried twenty thirteen semi final. I thought overall yeah. as a full game, yeah. I thought I just I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, it had it had everything and then just going in pies the half time yeah. with so many different kind of permutations going into the second half, I thought it was outstanding, yeah. Unbelievable. What do you think of you know, all Ireland's finals being played at that time? Obviously for Kerry supporters it wasn't ideal, but for the whole atmosphere, the ambience, I thought it was absolutely spectacular. I, I really liked them played on a Saturday evening. Yeah, no, I thought it was class as well. I was actually only, I only kind of rocked in around 20 past, 25 past five, like to give tickets, which is just a disaster. I don't know how the players, don't know how the players do it, trying to give out tickets. I had to give out a few to different people. And uh, there was some amount of people outside, like, and it was such a proper carnival atmosphere. And then you're kind of thinking, is it going to be a bit weird inside? Just that's not a Sunday, that's a little different. And no, it wasn't at all. It was, it was unbelievable, yeah. And I just... The even I, I I thought it was brilliant after the five in a row and how it was the first probably the elephant in the room and it was the first time I'd heard Dublin even acknowledge it was in Kieran Kilkenny's interview after which I just thought it was brilliant and he just kind of the crowd were just going mad and he just let a big kind of Ric Flair woo and just <laughs> shouted we did it and then the there's the let's let's go party line and Brian Fenton's Instagram was absolutely comical with the the Barbie girl mixed in with Kieran Kilkenny and I just see. Kieran Kilkenny's Instagram last night at uh, half nine he's tucked up on the couch and it says let's go party finito <laughs> so, so it's, uh, the party might, the party probably kicked off early this morning again for him but uh, it's just brilliant and there's so many we don't get to see it maybe that much just because they're probably sheltered from the media a lot but there's so many great characters um, in that Dublin well, panel I, Kilkenny won Fenton Merchant Jack McCaffrey you know there's some great characters well I saw him himself and Dean Rock outside our office yesterday at about noon and all I'll say is there are a lot of pubs in that vicinity, so yeah. I imagine they were probably en route to one. And we'll be talking about the game in just a minute with uh, Tomas O'Shea on the line, and Dunica Boyle is going to be in studio. And a little later in the show, we'll have Cork legend Breed stack on to uh, look back at the ladies' football final. But I guess overall, 
it was our first year in partnership at the at the helm of the throne. Oh, Did you enjoy God. yourself, Michael? <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd say you could probably compare maybe our like reign to maybe like the Gavin reign. It was just highly successful. Um, a lot of really good kind of uh, yeah. players and personnel to work with. Well, like you know, I think I was the Pat Gilroy blazing a trail with this podcast <laughs> last year, and then you've come in as kind of the the we're kind of both Jim Gavin, I guess. You know, in this scenario, yeah, I think we've probably shown a bit more personality now. To be fair, <laughs> to be, to be fair. I like to think so. Anyway, uh, well, on that note, I'd like to welcome Dunica Boyle in the studio and Tommaso Shane the line and guest Dunica the five in a row was finally completed last Saturday, and and when we sat down to preview the game last Thursday we talked about a lot of the potential matchups and the permutations did a lot of it does come down to though uh, you know the key men for Dublin in particular the guys who didn't play that well in the, in the uh, drawn game the Kieran Kilkenny's you know Brian Fenton was more prominent Johnny Cooper stayed on this time Conor Callahan and Paul Mannion were both very clinical was it, was it their performances that ultimately swung the day? Yeah I think the sort of the it's the answers are sort of hiding in plain sight I think you can go in and analyse it and Cut and dice it in a million ways, but I think if you look at the look at what happened, and it was Kilkenny, Manion, O'Callaghan, four, three of the main pillars of the team, and kicked was it twelve points between them or something like that. So, you know, the last day that that's the thing about this Dublin team. The last day, other fellas carried a lot of the a lot of the weight. Dean Rock was brilliant in the drawing game. He was a little bit more quiet this time around, but someone else picked up the slack. And you know, I think we got the game second time around. A lot of people maybe expected first time around, and that there was. Uh, a bit of a gap there and I think that was uh, the Dublin were I think there was a, a bit of, a bit of difference between the two teams and that was quite obvious by the final whistle. Yeah, it's interesting Michael because if you you know the opening 10 minutes uh, you know Dublin played sort of really really well, sort of really strongly and you might have thought oh this is maybe the pattern we thought would emerge the first day but then Kerry did so well to get back into the game to get it to 10 all when they maybe were under the cosh. It looked like they were primed then to kick on again, but from you know the opening seconds of the of the second half, Dublin kind of built that little lead, and then they kind of had that nice buffer for the rest of the game. Yeah, at half time, like th- things didn't go well for Kerry in the opening quarter. They launched four balls. I counted on it into the edge of square that didn't work out, which was I thought a strange tactic with with Tommy Walsh not there, but. They managed to consolidate things and get back level by half time and you're thinking, okay, Tommy Walsh is to come on, you're thinking Killian Spillane is to come on, you're thinking they look dangerous, they look like they're creating a couple of goal scoring opportunities, you think maybe things could like, fall their way in the second half and then like everything changed on, on that goal at the start of the second half. But just interestingly, like all great teams, all great managers, all great players, they learned so much from the first day, uh, like there was always a sweeper in the defence there was always someone dropping back and even there mightn't be someone there and you're thinking I just looked at Davy Byrne a couple of times and he just kind of realised oh I need to get back here they were always far smarter there was never Kerry never looked like opening them up like they did the first day and they just learned an awful lot of lessons As and as Dunica said like just a couple of the big lads that, that didn't deliver the first day delivered in spades on Saturday night yeah, I'll bring in Tommaso Shea on the line, a disappointed carry man, I'm sure. But having had a couple of days to, to reflect on things, Tomas, uh, like, what what are your main takeaways uh, for, from the match? Oh, geez, I'd be still, I'm, I'd be depressed at the moment, and, and that, I'm not trying to be smart like, but you'd be very down after. And, and I thought I'd be out of it at this stage as a player when I retired in 2013. That this kind of feeling wouldn't be there, but it's actually there. And I think it's it's widespread in the county. Uh, it doesn't matter if you had a sense or if the better team won or whatever, there's still a sense of just flatness and it's hard to describe. It's an awful feeling. But on the other side of that, like it, it is, you're after getting beaten by a Dublin team. I thought was exactly what they did on Saturday evening. I thought that would, is exactly what they do on the first day. And, you know, I think if you look at it, you can say, yeah, Mannion, 
Conor Callaghan and Kilkenny really, really made a difference. You know, three points in the first first match and then 12 points from play in the second point in the second match between them. But if you look at it as well, I think the pickouts, both teams were guaranteed possession. Shane Ryan had his best game ever, 25 out of 25. Cluxon missed two, but had an unbelievable game as well. So B-starts weren't an issue. David Moore wasn't, um, as uh, you know, he wasn't. He didn't have the impact in terms of catching hot balls as he did in the, in the first game. And as a result as well, I think huge for Dublin was they put Merchant out on Stephen O'Brien. They also put John Small in the middle against Sean O'Shea. Now, the two main guys for Kerry that drove everything the first day were O'Shea and Moore. And when those two guys were kind of, didn't have the same influence, it took so much from Kerry. And for Kerry, it's a huge compliment to Kerry that they were able to drag themselves back into it because they have a forward line. And there is a lot of talk about the Dublin defence. I'd actually argue that the, the sweeper system that Dublin played Yes, it worked in the first 10-15 minutes. And yes, they had bodies back. And yes, they tackled hard. And yes, their defence was better than it was the first day. But Kerry still created the chances. And I suppose how clinical they were in the first half compared to the second half was poles apart. They created chances in that second half, even with Cooper back there as sweeper and Merchant back there as sweeper. And they looked back at small little chances. That first one, I was even thinking about it again this morning, that chance Ganey had in Ganey was outstanding. Yeah. It was absolutely outstanding. But it just reminded me in 2000 against Armagh, Mike Frank Russell, the way he had an ability to bang corner the net. He burst whatever balls were in the corner out. And Gainey, if he had a little bit of composure, he blasted it over the bar. Kerry needed to be taking all those chances. It Kerry was on his weaker side, Tomas, wasn't it? Like, you know, it was on it his was, weaker yeah, side, yeah. Forwards. Yeah, the great forwards, like, and he has, it'd be like the good, the good says, you don't, you don't blast, pass it into the net kind of a thing, like, and I think he had a second more, possibly, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, don't get me wrong, the Dubs, look, they're, they're, everybody says they have the players and they have the key players and it's everything it's the whole package for, they've done it so long and it's a fact you know Peter Canavan made a, a, a comment about uh, other teams it's not as simple as that other teams lifting it up there's money there's county boards there's relationships between county boards between the players between the managers between everything has to be perfect to keep that going for so long and to keep it as successful and to keep it as driven it, it's some feat and it, it, there's no doubt that they are the greatest team that, that you know, from a management point of view, from a team point of view, from, from there'll be arguments about, and it's all arguments, it's all debatable, but they are the greatest team that have ever lived. And that's fact, that's down now in, in, in any team in the GAA. What they have achieved is just incredible because they have been put to the pin of their collar and the fact that they have constantly changed it and introduced new players and coped with systems put against them, the Mayos, the Tyrones, the Kerrys, great forward lines, and geez, they've answered every single question thrown at them, like, and they're not done yet. Yeah, Michael, interestingly, as Tomas says, they're maybe the greatest team of all time, because I think you'd underline the word team, because there's been such a regeneration of players, yeah. you know, and there's this talk of, you know, the, the amount of possible retirements, but when you look at the actual starting team, besides Stephen Clucks and, and maybe one or two members of the full back line, all the key men are young men, they're in their they're 26 or younger, they're Fenton, they're Kilkenny, they're McCaffrey, they're all 26, Mannion's 26, Conor Callahan's I think 24, so like the, the, the fulcrum of the team are going to be here for five, six, seven more years. Definitely, and I suppose that's the probably the main difference, we'd say, between probably this Dublin team and even the great Kerry team is that they kind of were regenerating as they were going along and there was new faces coming in. This is like, this is a new team been driven by new faces. The Howards, obviously, Brian Fenton has been there 
the whole way through this this marvelous win and run, Paul Mannion, Conor Callaghan, as you said as well, and that ability to to change. Like, he, don't get me wrong, Jim, Jim Gravin has the luxury of he has these unbelievable players he can bring in and on the bench as well. The ability to to change that the team the whole time and not be predictable and have new faces that people maybe don't know about from year to year. Like, no, everybody saw Paul or Owen Merchant last year. The first time they've really seen him this year was in the replay. Like that was that was a curveball of sorts, yeah. and the ability to be able to do that and keep changing is massive well, he seems to have taken the approach I'd rather cut someone a year too early than a year too late like there's been a couple of times he's dropped guys you know Bernard Brogan that first time in 2016 where you know you, there's arguments to keep these guys in for another game another season but he's taken the, the view of I'd rather bring in these young players now even though these guys could still do a job than maybe wait until we've actually lost a game because I didn't make the switch earlier well he does have that luxury as I said yeah. like I don't think too many other managers could do that and you see that with most other teams that there are maybe a couple of lads you only realise after that they maybe were just hanging on but he has that luxury of being able to maybe just push a lad away maybe because he has somebody else coming yeah, in it's, it's, it's a viable option yeah. coming on that other counties would be forced I suppose to stick with the, the tried and trusted because the guy coming just next isn't ready yet in Dublin they seem to be ready a lot to do with great preparation and all that but just Martin Bretney has it this morning in his match report the average age of the outfield 14 was 26 mm. so that's that's uh, those boys are in their prime. Scary now. enough, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And if you go back to the start of this run, like go back to the the say the eleven, and like you know that felt like a great team, and the fellas doing the heavy lifting then are nowhere to be seen now. You know, or or certainly, oh, even over the course of the five in a row, the responsibility to start it off, you would have been looking at Bernard, Alan, Alan Paul yeah. Flynn. Now you're looking at Kieran Kilkenny, uh, Brian Fenton, Brian Fenton, Conor yeah. Callan. Like it, it's it's changed fundamentally like it's not it's not one great team it's been about two and a half great teams uh, over since 11 I would say yeah uh, and Tomas just go back to the match for a second uh, like was there any specific area or battleground that you thought was particularly vital in the end you know the midfield battle the first day as you mentioned you know with David Moran being so influential was re really important you know Jack Barry kind of helped to negate Brian Fenton's influence the game seemed to almost bypass midfield to an extent this time around was there any other areas maybe you felt that, that, that grew in importance well, it did. I think the, the, it kind of bypassed midfield in, to the extent that the high balls, the high fetching, the scrapping around the middle, Kerry's vicious press wasn't. Uh, I'd say Kerry were kind of wary that the Dubs popped them for one-two from that press in the first in the first match, and they weren't pushing up as viciously as they were. Yes, they were pushing up, but they were every time a kick got off, the Kerry lads were drifting back straight away. They just wanted to keep it solid at the back. But I think. Basically, the, the the main worry, and I think the big difference, I think Kerry always had a forward line that could hurt Dublin, and still believe that. I still believe that if you gave that Kerry forward line, they would have the better of that Dublin defence nine times out of ten. The difference, and the big difference is the defences, I think, in terms of the Kerry defence leak more. It's, the Kerry defence could not hold out that Dublin forward line. It was incessant. I think from the from the word go, I thought we were in trouble here. Cause I saw Kilkenny burst onto it. And he kicked the score. And I said, whoa, this fellas after answering. Next and the next score came. There were 5-1 up before we even copped it. And I, I think that was the huge difference. I think our ability. And people are saying to me, you know, they might come. There's a couple of those fellas that are around three or four years now. And, you know, my question would be against the very, very, very top. And then we're talking about one team here, Dublin. Are those guys going to be able to be good enough to beat Dublin one-on-one? -on -one? in the back line. Because as a unit, I think Kerry are trying, one year under Peter Keane, one year under Donny Buckley, it isn't enough time, I don't think, to get your system going. Look how long it took McGuinness. 
they're trying to create a system that kind of solidifies that back line in that the, the, the defenders back there will get more support from out the field. And that was the losing of the game, I think, in that we couldn't from play. I don't know, what, is it 14 points from play they conceded? And whatever way you look at it, there will be question marks. And this is where the talent, this is where the minor teams have to come in and put up their hands and young players. Now, Kerry are very young and they will be around for a while. But this attitude that Kerry have a right to win, Kerry, oh, that team will win four or five. Where is that coming from, like? I, I hate that kind of talk because it, it gives the players that are there who haven't won an All-Ireland senior this kind of, oh, it's, it's going to come. It's not going to come. You have to make it come. And that's what the, the challenge lies ahead for Kerry. Now, don't get me wrong. There's so many positives I take out of Kerry's performances this year. But when you look back at it, that first match, the, it couldn't have been right as right as it was for, for, for picking Dublin off. Because the, the few of the key guys were quite... Fenton was quite over two games in comparison to what he normally does. But it was the guys up front, the Callaghan, Kilkenny, Scully... Scully was quite over the two games as well, to be fair, uh, and Mannion. They were the guys who could possibly cause the damage that I think Kerry could not hold out, but they did. And they were a player down. They weren't going to get a better opportunity than that. And I think that's what makes it was hope and just Dublin. It never looked like losing the game on Sunday. Never. Mm. So, and, and, you know, just a small thing in relation to uh, the players they will lose. Dublin, I don't think it will bother them in one bit. I think if Dublin lose players, I think... Until they lose Cluxon, there won't be too much of a huge shift there. You know, the players that they lose, like, it's not going to affect. They'll always have players coming through, but it's it's Cluxon and it's it's Gavin, I think, that have such an influence on what's happening. Well, if, if Gavin was to walk to away, Tomas, what uh, what kind of impact do you think that would have? Would that would that be as seismic as Cluxon for you? Well, you see, it's, it's like any any organisation. You have to have the right guys in charge. You could have the most talented bunch of players with, with a serious backing of money behind you. If you don't have the right guy to guide them and to control them, there's strong characters in that Dublin team. And over what's happened with Connolly, over what's happened, the big things that's happened with Bogan, there could have been, there was never a break of silence. There was never a complaint from that camp. They stuck together. Now, if you don't have a manager that can get his players to buy into that system, then cracks will start. Then you get guys talking in the background. Then you get, and it's probably happening, but there's still team is number one. And when team doesn't become number one, then you have an issue. And I think what Gavin, and Gavin won't say much, but what he's achieved, like he's done what Dwyer and Cody couldn't do. It's it's absolutely phenomenal. He's had different players coming through. He's he's had pressure from, from say, strong characters within that group. He's constantly changed it. Like to drop Rogan, are not included in the in the in the squad last day, and the pressure because they nearly lost the game was phenomenal. So I, I just feel that he will have, and it's not to say that they don't have anybody else. You know, you have Desi Farr, you have I'd say Gilroy would 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 be champing at the bit to get back in as well. But it actually, I was half depressed when I heard that the the comment that he was planning for next year, and that, oh, nobody knows he's coming or going. He's another year in his contract, and I do think he is part of the whole app. But you know, it, I. I'd be pressed from a Kerry point of view, but for, as a sports person, as a man looking at what he's achieved and what they have done, like, Kerry were a kick away from it and people say, oh, this is wrong and, and 5 and is ridiculous. If they win 7 or 8, that could be an issue, right? But what they've done here, other teams were nearly there as well and they didn't. This is what makes this team stand out. They actually made the final step. Took them two matches, but they did it. And um, look, you can only just look back in awe of them, really.
like there's no one going there's looking at the team that's like there, there will be we expect a raft of retirements particularly after the five in a row being completed if you look at the fellas who came on Philly you could suggest Mike O'Keefe Sullivan Kevin McManaman Michael Darren McCauley um, you might suggest that they would be considering their futures but at the starting 15 outside of Cluxton there's no one going anywhere. I mean, James McCarthy, I, I don't think so. Maybe just if his body holds up, I, I don't think he's, he's the kind. Nine, yeah. yeah, well, he's he's put in nine and he's 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 a phenomenal athlete and the way he plays the game, like I'm sure he's put his body through an awful lot. Um, you know, Cluxton and Gavin are really the only two you're looking to go at and, and the, yeah. the, 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 the widely held view is uh, the last time he spoke, he, denied, he said he had no interest in it, but it was a couple of years ago now is that Desi Farrell is next man in. Mm. So like Desi knows all these fellas inside out. His his CV is impeccable in terms of managing underage teams and managing these a lot of these fellas in particular. So look, they're not going anywhere. Like you know, there's, there's odds out today on they the six in a row. The, yeah, they do have the advantages. Everybody talks about the numbers and the, and the uh, in financially side of it, and you know the population up there and everything and the amount of of support they have. But what they have as well. Lads, and it's 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 so obvious. They have, they know they have a mantra. They have a kind of a culture created, mm. and they know what has to be done. And it doesn't matter if you took everything away from them tomorrow morning. They'd still have players with character that know what has to be done. They drive themselves on in a way that I I've seen it in teams, and I've been part of teams where three or four or five fellas real leaders, real guys who actually show it on the pitch and show leadership by actually doing it on the pitch. And they lift other fellas with them. And there's an expectation on every single young fella coming through and every new player. And it's seamlessly... Um, if, you have, if you have a team that aren't... Uh, don't have these leadership players, don't have the, the, the old fellas to bring in... Bring through... The, everything is seamless. The young lads come in, Callan, Callan, there was no real pressure... What David Clifford and Sean Shea are doing, for example, wasn't expected of any other young Dublin player when they came through. And I just think those eight or nine players, and the lads mentioned it earlier, it was the Brogans, it was Michael Dara, it was um, Cluxton is a constant, but they have now the Fintons, the Kilkenny's, the Mannions driving it. And it's just, it's, it's a constant flow, and it's hard to see it actually slow down unless those key guys are gone, I think. Two defeats in 59 games. Like yeah. That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. Like, <laughs> like, where do you like? Where do you go from there? And as we've already pointed out, the core of the team are, are going to be around next year, the year after, and the year after that, at the very least. So, Tomas, you don't think there's any worry? I know what you're saying there, and the young fellas are kind of driving it now, and obviously the manager is driving it. You don't think there's any worry that if all that experience, we'll just say, for example, a Philly McMahon, a Keno Sullivan, a Bernard Brogan, a Michael Dara, an Ono Gara, a Darren Daly. The, a, a big cohort of experienced panel members leave the dressing room. You don't think that would have any effect? I think it would, yeah. But I think it all depends then. There'd be more pressure on... There, I, I don't think that you... I still believe you'll have three or four connected with the start of the four in a row, five or six of them connected with the start of the four in a row, and you'll have other fellows... Keno Sullivan, I question if he'll leave. James McCarthy, I question if he'll leave. All you need is four or five of those fellows. And you see, the Fentons, Fenton hasn't lost the game. Fenton's already one of these guys. Kilkenny's one of these guys. They still have eight or nine serious characters who you can say are um, leadership qualities and just the drive and the passion. I've met a few of them and just talking, and I don't be trying to inquire too much, but you can just see little nuggets from them. They're unbelievably driven. Now, that's not to say that those type of players aren't all over the country. They are. 
But the difference is you add up every aspect of it, the management, the coaching, the background. I guarantee you there's an unbelievable financial side to what the Dubs do and what they achieve. There has to be. There's no way the analysis side of it, the background side of it, what way they're monitored in terms of physical preparation, it has to. And you see, county board, the, John Costello, they meet, they, they, like everything is connected up. There's about 10 or 11 facets that connect seamlessly and work together brilliantly. And you can have three or four of them in other counties. You can have four or five, but there's always a drop in somewhere around the line. And, you know, Kerry, that was one thing I always believed the county board would do everything for us to make us better. The county board weren't worried about money. If they had to be got and if it was justified, they'd do it. And the players knew that there was a certain pressure and expectation on them. Management knew. And we questioned management. If, if things weren't up to scratch, you'd question it. And all along the board, like, would it have affected? Of course it would. But not to the level that they can't still keep driving it on. Mm. And I do think, like... Can they keep turning out the Cluxons and the McCarthy's and the Hintons and the Kilkenny's? Like I spoke to a great buddy of mine, a great dog who knows what's going on at underage. And he said to me, it's boss, he says, this will come to an end. He says, they don't have it. Underage, Kilkenny was spotted very young. Fenton was spotted very young. Um, a lot of those key guys, man, or Callaghan was spotted very young. There aren't as many coming through. So will there be a turn? Yes. But with the raw materials, if they harness it, there's no reason why they can't be at the top constantly. Winning, maybe not every single year, but at the top constantly, yes. Do you think what underpins it all for me is that there is a critical mass of players there and that yeah. the wider the base of the pyramid is, the higher the pyramid can be built. And like the, the example I always go back to, to demonstrate this is Monaghan. So Monaghan are one of the smallest counties around. If you go back maybe 10 or 15 years, they had Tommy Freeman, who for two or three years was one of the best forwards in the county. He was absolutely electric. Um, they had to wait another, say, 10 years for the emergence of Conor McManus just because by just the sheer, by numbers, they cannot produce fellas who are just sprinkled with stardust like that that often. And Conor McManus came along then and he was sort of the main man. Dublin are getting two and three of those in a generation. Monaghan are getting one every 10 or 12 years. And you can, like, Monaghan boys will tell you themselves, they want for absolutely nothing. They are eking the absolute most out of themselves. But I think that that critical mass of players, that talent that is all, that can't be, has nothing to do with money or anything. It's just natural and it's worked on from there. I think that is, uh, that's one of the big things that yeah, they yeah, can yeah. have. You'll see Kieran Archer in the O'Brien Cup next year when the lads are the team. Kieran Archer, like, like yeah, I'd year. actually forgotten about him, but yeah. he looked like an absolutely phenomenal player yeah. already. So, you know, I was at the Dublin Mead on the 17 match, the minor match uh, earlier this year, and did a couple of really good players there as well. So, look, that's. Uh, and look, when you talk about the money, lads, like, they can say if the Dublin are getting what they are entitled to from the GAA, if they get whatever grants. They have the population, right? You can't change that for the rest of the country. They'll have the population up there. They'll also get whatever money is entitled to. But what's key to them is clubs who put in these courses, clubs, they have the access to sponsorship, possibly, that other clubs around the country at an underage level. So it's got nothing to do with the county board here. You're dealing with clubs. But because of the access they'd have to get coaches into their clubs because of the clout they'd have inside in big clubs in Dublin, 
they're probably getting better coaching, more coaching than other clubs around the country. And how, like everybody argues, how what are they doing wrong? Like if it's available to a club down in West Kerry that you have this guy who's willing to put in money, we'll take it. Of course we'll take it. And they'll do the same about there. And how you actually balance that out across the country is the big question at the moment. And everybody's blaming Dublin. Why would you blame Dublin for doing what's available to them and if doing it legally? Now, if there is any other stuff that's not legal, then get rid of it straight away. But how would you actually rectify that balance? I don't think you ever will like, to be quite honest with you. Well, yeah, I think that's maybe a, a bigger, that's, wider that's a conversation. Podcast yeah, own, yeah podcast on. <laughs> Tomas, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. On that note, good luck. Cheers. <laughs> thanks very much. And just to wrap up on a few other things from, from the final, uh, Michael, you know, we, we did talk beforehand about Dermot Connolly, what role he could play, would he be in from the start? He obviously got in for a sizable chunk of that game, uh, you know, for the second half. Uh, he looked like a man who was a good bit off the pace, and if the game wasn't maybe to play out a different way, it was a decision that could have been very rigorously scrutinised. Definitely, yeah. Apart from that that dream pass, which might necessarily have been meant for where it ended up, but it was probably meant for the next man. For Callan, I yeah, think, was it? He had a couple of brilliant turnovers, even for that pass as well. And there was one or two other ones, but he was just, even for the goal, like he's he's as clinical as they come, but he just didn't, uh, he just wasn't up to the pace of it. He should have given the pass probably a couple of seconds before that. And there was a couple of big turnovers. There was a kick pass away and there was a bad hand pass as well. But they were kind of in that position where it wasn't going to cost them. Just something, a couple of things that, that struck me throughout the game. Uh, we've been talking about it for a while, but the, the impact even of different sports and different tactics on what the dubs are doing now. Like before... Before this kind of Dublin team came along, we'd never really heard of the word screen or anything like that. It was one for a Mannion point in the second half when fans and dust. And just before that, Johnny Cooper has the ball in his hand, puts his right hand up in the air, and it was almost like a set play move. James McCarthy leaned to the corner, just screened. Uh, I think it was I think it was Tyg Morley and Mannion put over a point just before half time. Now they didn't get anything from it. Uh, Mick Fitzsimons. It was three the three minutes of injury time we played in the first half. Mick Fitzsimons put his uh, hands acro- across to make an X. Point into the full forward line basically meaning that we have a, a, an opportunity here to do something that we wouldn't normally do because time is almost up he does the same signal to Fenton Fenton launches a ball to the edge of the square from 65 and yards and the they might same, have got a goal the same signal against Cork against just Cork, yeah. and it's just yeah, it's really smart and the throw-in at the start of the second half while Dave Moran gave away the ball the tactic would have been for Fenton or Howard to tip the ball down to Merchant as they did Kilkenny ran across the line um, basically vacated the centre and opened up the whole centre for Merchant. Connolly was standing out in the wing. The two corner forwards and the full forward were as far away as possible. And it just it was from nothing really. They had just practiced this dead balls kind of situation, something that's going to happen in every game. And they've done similar things yeah. over the last it's couple of years. Like, yeah. I, I sent out a tweet about that yesterday, and it got an awful lot of uh, got a lot of replies. People were pointing out the steps. I think it was two solos and and a hop between. Basically, where he picked up possession in the middle yeah. of the field and where he there shot was like from. 10 the, steps there, there, there was, was there was an a, yeah. awful lot of steps, and yeah, a rule was broken. But fellas moving that fast mm. and in that scenario, you rarely like if if that if you got pulled for that, that, you'd be very upset. Yeah. That rule is broken. So yeah. very, very the, the thing yeah. is that the reason probably he got away with it was is because Morn pulled them back or you do thought about a, pulling them back, and you almost get a grace of a couple of steps. Oh, you do. If there's a bit of contact, that, you're allowed yeah. running. Like yeah, an extra six yeah, steps. you do get it. Yeah. And and it, someone pointed out the difference between uh, O'Callaghan fouling morally fouling them. Yeah. and putting them to the ground in a similar scenario, and uh, Moran not actually putting uh, Merchant down, probably worried about getting the black card. Um, so, you know, uh, Kerry will look back at that. But 
the, the best part of that move was, and you have to see it so subtle and he does it so well, is Fenton blocking yeah, Stephen O'Brien. Yeah. And he just, just steps in front of him and he does it in such a way that it's not obviously, it's not deliberate, but when you look back and it, you see how significant it is. Yeah. It's um, all these little, small little things that have just been honed small on the training things, ground. Yeah, small yeah. things and that it, make Like I didn't difference. see that in real time, I have to be honest. And yeah. Jim Gavin came out afterwards in the press conference and said that was a set move and like Jim doesn't talk like that unless it's actually something. And a lot of people were saying that's bullshit. Sorry, that's yeah. rubbish. He's making that up. You know? Yeah. And just something else that Gavin talked about as well. He said that Cluxton spent two hours on the training ground the day after the match basically trying to recorrect his foot positioning for Killian Spillane's goal and had a laptop out and was this, it's almost this fanatical kind of maniacal kind of thing where you just want to improve and it's just like uh, would any would any of us be down the training field for two hours today after an All-Ireland final Pro- probably somewhere not, else you know? yeah. and, and just on, on our merchant who I think on behalf of the Throne panel I'll anoint as the final rising uh, board gosh energy rising star of the year but it's just you know it was a you know a, an interesting call to bring him in and it paid off you know massively it's just like maybe in 2016 he brought a Michael for Simons, he won man of the match that day. Like Gavin has been decent between replays at maybe identifying areas to bring in or players to bring in. Definitely, I did a piece last week about potential bolters, and Owen Merchant was the one that stood out. And I had a fiver on him for man of the match, and I just thought if he if he stayed on the field, I think he had a great show because he would have gotten a few more balls, maybe would have had another play and a score. But he was brilliant, just brilliant when he was on the field. And someone actually commented to me beforehand; they looked at the the national anthem as it was being played, and he was out front, and it just it looked like he was really nervous and everything like that so just goes to show you looks looks can be very deceiving there's a great picture Brian Fenton had up on his Instagram actually brilliant of, some brilliant of, um, photos mar- yeah. marching in a, in, a white, in a white suit <laughs> that was about five times too big for him that must have been from his devs that was it hardly after been, the yeah. final must have been uh, what about the referee just quickly Dunnick obviously it, you know uh, David Goff was really rigorously scrutinised after that first yeah. game how do you think Conor Lane did um the obvious obvious incident with the black card from Mick Fitzsimons that, that was a bizarre yeah. uh, from start to finish that was bizarre because whether it was a black card or not I don't think so, don't think so he showed not. the black card okay he did it in error but I thought if anyone was going to get talk, spoken after that it was going to be O'Callaghan who actually made the initial contact with, mm. with Morley to drag him down so that he probably wasn't as strict in the second half as he was early on um, in terms of what he blew for but like he did, you can't say he had any direct impact on how the game went so after that, how much more do you want? Like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go rounding on him. Like he, he wasn't as good as Goff. Like, but sure, yeah. look, you know, a lot of the players weren't as good there's, as the world first day. There so. was two moments of confusion. That one you listed there, and Conor Callahan kicked a point on a new yeah. advantage before half time. He had signalled, I think, an error again for a free out. And then, the, then there was a lot of confusion about whether it was actually a score or not. And I just thought it, uh, it was directions in terms yeah, of actually pointing yeah, yeah. or getting the flag raised because I don't think the white flag was even raised. The press room at half time now there was a lot of sort of like geez, he's, he's not doing this. He's going really bad. But I thought if you took the the black card incident, the Simon's incident out of it aside, I thought he was he was okay. I'm not saying he was, yeah. uh, but I don't think he was deserved. Like he got ah, heavily yeah. booed coming off at halftime, really heavily booed. Ah, but I was trying to figure out whether it was Kerry or Dublin yeah, booing him now. Yeah. Most people thought he was pretty hard in Dublin the first half. But look, I, I, I think this is just something that we like to lose our marbles over. You know, as I said at the beginning, he had no real effect on the outcome of the game. Mm. Yeah. I think there's a couple of things Jay are going to have to look at though. Um, by all accounts, people that could hear what Conor Lane was saying basically said that he had changed his mind for the Fitzsimons decision that it was initially a black card and then a tick, um, which would imply which would imply that someone told him that it wasn't a black card. He went into the umpire, did he not? Yeah, uh, he did. No, he did. I thought he did. Uh, he went in before. I don't know. Did he go in after? Well, he spoke. Yeah, but I, he's, yeah. he definitely spoke to the umpire anyway. But there's yeah. definitely the impression that. 
somewhere from on high he's he's being helped a small bit same with the the two actually the two ladies the, the ladies well. football semi-finals and the hurling final as well like if, if they're going to do that then make it official that, yeah. that they're doing that because they shouldn't have it that way they shouldn't be allowed to cherry pick what incident gets no, exactly, direction yeah. and what doesn't get exactly, yeah. I'd have to say now I've no problem with that even if it's been used unofficially if they get to the right decision was it David Goff earlier in the year did he give a free or it was into the hill? I think it was, it was a penalty a against yeah, Cork. Yeah, yeah. Against and then Cork. he went, but again, he talked uh, yeah. to the umpire. Yeah, he talked to the umpire, and there was, again, like he, he, he made a decision, first of all, he talked to a couple of people and he reversed the decision. I think if you, and it, he, he got to the right decision eventually. If you get there in the end, that's okay. Talking to your umpire is different to getting something in your ear well, from someone but in the box. My point is that whether he gets it from the umpire and or he's just standing beside the umpire to make it look like he's talking to him and the fella in the yeah. Hawkeye box is telling him, listen, David, that's not what happened there at all. I, I have no issue with that. If it's happening unofficially, if you get to the right decision, I think that's the important thing, particularly in big matches like that. Because can you imagine if that was a penalty but and the drive for five fell what decision yeah, gets I just to think help. it's murky water there's a lot of decisions yeah. and you could easily maybe get overturned if you had a man in your ear who w- picks what decision gets put in the referee's ear to change well uh, that's, a, that's a very difficult question but you're getting you're getting another a lack of uh, transparency in terms of another, officiating I would, yeah I would, but it's, it's another set of eyes and a fellow with a, a, an instant replay assumably, yeah. presumably yeah. so but you know, the, the reason he got time to use the instant replay was because the game had stopped so if there's another controversial incident and the game is t- still going he doesn't get a time, no one gets a time yeah. and the team could still feel agreed. I just think they should make it official if they're going to do that. And we all like saw in the, in the hurling semi-final how annoyed people were when a decision was, I know it was a Hawkeye yeah. point, but you know when it was pulled back minutes later and it was a goal that's allowed in the middle, you know, mm, everyone... Yeah. Lo- and just, just something else actually, because um, I only watched back the footage yesterday morning after and Pat McAnini, uh, the referee's kind of chief, he was referee's chief, wasn't he? And yeah, he obviously an all referee. Yeah. He uh, was talking about uh, pitch incursions by, by Marina Forna and there was 78 in the drawn game so basically one for every minute that was played and a lot of them Tommy Griffin was standing with his hands in the air yeah. as was Jason Sherlock to make to fill space almost as well I just thought it's I, I kind of marvel at stuff like that because it's just um, there's no rules against it it's, so. su- it's such a like flagrant I guess abuse of the loophole yeah like, yeah because it shouldn't be allowed you know? but no it shouldn't be allowed yeah Sherlock and Griffin were at it because I, I, I had quite a good view of the sideline like all, all, all day yeah. or all but, evening right? but you have to love the innovation of it like this, they're seeing an opportunity to every get every rule edge. in the yeah, GA love will be brought in and will be exploited in such yeah. a way that it will be used against <laughs> itself and the black card is the best example of that you know it was, it was brought in to reduce cynical play and in the end of that our Ireland final was at 16 and Kieran Kilkenny and the rest of the Dublin forwards haul all the Mayo back to the ground now as a turn I think David Clark kicked the ball out over the sideline that time but hauled him back to the ground in that instance being cynical and getting the black card helped him eat up the clock yeah, exactly, and it, yeah. so it was used it was yeah, funda- yeah. the fundamental <laughs> of what the rule was about was used against itself so like, just maybe one last thing before we move on to the ladies football final uh, just you know a point that Tomas made about Kerry we kind of talked about what Dublin might look like in the future with retirements and, and the young core of the team but the point he made there however a lot of the commentary has been oh this team will win their All-Ireland so like, like almost let's not to worry they'll win multiple All-Irelands but as Tomas said there's no guarantees it needs like like where do you think they are in terms of next season and, and you know the next couple of seasons? Just funnily enough, I was chatting to, to Mickey Ned O'Sullivan the other day. I was doing a piece on Donny Buckley and he knows him well, so I just uh, was chatting him for a few minutes about it. And I, I said something similar to, like that to him and he said, I wish we'd won no minor at Ireland, he said. Because he said, there's a pressure on these guys now that wouldn't normally be on them. And a lot of their developments are being... Um, like brought forward maybe more. More is expected of them at an earlier age. And Tomás uh, referenced David Clifford and Shawnee O'Shea. And if they were in Dublin, 
like if they were in Dublin at that age, like Shawnee O'Shea wouldn't be kicking the freeze or not as much would be expected of Clifford. So there's an awful lot expected of them as a result of what they've what they've won. Uh, they will feel it's a lost opportunity, obviously, because they had a great chance to basically be history breakers the first day. There, there's still an unbelievable amount of talent there, but if you go back through the minor teams, the five minor teams, the amount that have come through from those teams is very little. Like Mickey Ned said, he was with the Kerry Miners the year before they won the first of the mm. five, and I think he said there was six involved. Do you know what I mean? So there's, I think there's, I think there's only two or three from those minor teams involved in the starting team. So well, Sean O'Shea, David Clifford, about involved was Jason Foley. I think Brian O'Bugluck was involved uh, as well. Maybe the first one, yeah. There's, there's not a huge, there's not a huge, not as much as you think. You just need probably need to. Well, you're not going to get generally speaking 20, 20 year olds are not ready for senior in the county football. They're pretty special now if they are. I know there's a couple there in the Kerry team, but like they are usually the put fellas in the hot house. Them look at like what they did with with like Brian Howard. Everyone who was listening to anything about Dublin knew he was coming for a year or two, but they didn't. They just left him. They put him in the oven basically and fucking let, let him excuse me let him, let, him, <laughs> let, him, let him cook away there for a little while and by the time he, he emerged he was a fully fledged footballer yeah. so you know Kerry haven't had the uh, haven't had the luxury of doing that but I would say like I, coming towards the end of the season I would say like Thomas Sullivan had a very good season right. maybe wasn't great another on, minor on, on Saturday night Tyg Morley probably was, was probably a season best performance in the drawing game Breen and Bjugluk is as good as that was as good as I seen him play for Kerry into 40 50 minutes. He, I think he was withdrawn because he was on a yellow. So, uh, and you have Peter Crowley to come back into the mix, who was again one of the most experienced players and was withdrawn and would Serving be a a three, with a three month ban now for squirting yeah. water. Weeks, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, look, I, I it, uh, there should be an awful lot of natural improvement in those ways. And, like, if you've done uh, had any dealings with Peter Keane, he will not be letting anyone get carried away with anything. So, I, I think, look, they're in very good hands to have. They have a nice age pro age profile. I haven't worked it out now, but I would say they're even younger again than Dublin, and there's natural improvement there. And I just looking at the quick look at the team, I don't see anyone that they're going to lose over the next while. Mm. They, no, no, they had a no. big clear out last year with a they lot. They had a fair clear out last year, and, and I think yeah, I think there's there's loads of natural improvement. As, there. as regards long term with that team, it mightn't be any harm that they didn't win an All Ireland at this stage. Because just, just as, I don't know, just, just the, the hurt of it all, and maybe so much coming so quickly, and all even more expectation that they would have had on their shoulders. It, it mightn't be any harm for them. And no sign of Mark O'Connor coming home either. No, no. So I like he's, he, yeah, yeah. So and they again, like you're looking at the midfield there, and you think if they had a little bit more dynamism, what could they do? And O'Connor, by all accounts, was was going to be that player, and he's he's not around. He's a massive loss. So that's enough for the men's final. Move on to the ladies' football final, Michael, between uh, Dublin and Galway yesterday in Croke Park. And I guess the one thing we did predict, or Breed, Stack, who joining us just a moment, did predict, was that Galway would come with a challenge. So it was quite a close game for most uh, of it. But I guess with the conditions and some maybe poor wides in the day, even though we had a great crowd at the game, it, it wasn't a spectacle that people hoped. No, definitely not. It was a mad game. I've, I've never seen anything like it. And when you compare like 24 hours or less than 24 hours from the men's final to the women's final, like it was absolutely scorching on Saturday. Then on Sunday, it's just like rain sodden. And it's just as I was saying to you there, off air before we started, like the, the total aggregate of points beforehand was 27.5 is what they said. And even 10 minutes into the game, it was still that. And like it never even got anywhere close to it. It 
lucky to even hit double figures. It barely hit double figures. Um, it was just a really, really strange game for the 56,000 that were there as well. I'm sure they were expecting, I don't know, end-to-end or something like that, but it was definitely not that. It was, uh, yeah, it was one of the most bizarre big games I've ever seen. Yeah. That often happens maybe in a smaller game or a league game or a league final or something like that, but not in a big championship match. It was mad. Yeah, we're bringing in Breed Stack on the line now. Breed, like, what, what do you put it down to? Because as Michael said, like, I think it's funny, Denise Masterson in her column in today's Irish Independent described it, even though she was delighted with the Dublin win, as a surreal and a bizarre kind of kind of day out. Was it the weather? Was it nerves, as Michael said, of the, of the big match that contributed to it? Like, was it just a kind of a one-off freak kind of occurrence? Like, why do you think the quality was so low compared to previous years? Yeah, I know. It's probably the lowest scoring all Ireland final in ladies football in, in a long, long time. Um, I suppose at times it was definitely very frustrating to watch and I can imagine it was probably very frustrating to play in as well. But I suppose, you know, the the thing is you couldn't really question the players' fitness and their, their tackling and their work rate, but the execution of skills in front of the goal, you know, wasn't what it, what it could have been yesterday. And I suppose... You know, given the conditions, the plan just seemed to be fairly simple for both teams. It just seemed to be like run hard lines and close passing off the shoulder. And I suppose, you know, when you're, you know, trying to work ball into scoreable areas, like that, it just meant that both teams became ultra, ultra defensive. And, you know, as I said, with both teams electing to run the ball, the play just seemed to be extremely narrow, very congested, very predictable not a lot of kick passing or weight and you know there was definitely no long range shooting on display and I suppose like what is frustrating is these players are highly skilled and they're very very well capable of that but you know it's an all in the final I suppose nerves and, and wanting to ensure that you did the right thing all the time meant that you know there wasn't that kick passing on show that we would be used to from these two sides um, and I suppose look what's probably worrying, worrying enough in ladies football is that a blanket defence can be highly effective um, as the threat of the long-range scoring probably isn't there for, for a lot of players. So I suppose on that side, it was worrying. But but then you just have to look at work rate. And I suppose, look, um, I suppose I had questioned, you know, would Galway be physically able to, to match Dublin? And, you know, the number of turnovers was testament to the hard work that was being put in. Galway turned over Dublin in possession, I think, something like 26 times over the course of the game. But unfortunately, just couldn't get the scores on the board. But you couldn't question their 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 work rate and, and their fitness. But and surely, from I guess a Galway perspective, breed like they will wake up with massive regrets. Like when you only concede two, three to Dublin, yeah. a team who are so dominant traditionally. If you give them that before the game, they're probably presuming that they're sitting there with the Brendan Martin Cup today. But obviously, as you say, they, yeah. they just struggle themselves. You know, I know they hit the post maybe a couple of times and and, and some some yeah, poor shot. Post twice overall. I think the post was hit actually on four occasions altogether two for Dublin two for Galloway mm. but like you know missing six wides in the first half like just shot selection was very poor execution of skill was very poor um, like Galway really rude those chances in, in in the first half Yeah Michael like what, what was your read on that and that like you know Galway will you know after holding Dublin to 2-3 be, be kicking themselves. Ah, you'd be sick, yeah. Like it, they wouldn't have even dreamed of holding them to that little. They would have, two or three times that amount. I'd say they would have probably been satisfied with. That's it. They'll, yeah, they'll have a lot. They'll have a lot of regrets. They played defensive to keep themselves in the game. Um, but they just when when you do that, 
you're going to have a certain amount of chances and you're going to have to be converting, you know, you're going to have to be converting two thirds of your chances. There's two points from play for them. Yeah, yeah. you know, like you're not, you're not going to win, you're not going to win a big game with that. They were kind of, it was very, very tight and very solid at one end. But yeah, they'd just be disappointed with their conversion rate at the other end. You you only get, I've often been in matches and you see that, especially when you're an underdog. If, if you get, you know, if you're in the second half of the game like that and if you get, eight chances you're going to need to convert six do you know mm. what I mean everything's going to have to be high end percentage wise and they just they just weren't able to yesterday. and the conditions played into that an awful lot too to be fair and you know I know every All-Ireland is you know an absolute triumph for the players involved but will, will part of the Dublin team do you think will, will there be any kind of sense of regret that, that they didn't get to play they didn't play their best stuff that it was such a poor performance in the end yeah I was kind of thinking that they were kind of saying that the that the, the end kind of justifies, justifies the, the means, the means yeah. kind of after but I'd say part of them would be a bit disappointed to be honest with you and worryingly for everyone else if they played really expansive football and won and blitzed them it'd be different now they probably have they're going to have a chip on their shoulder even for next year just to go and I suppose deliver a bit a really big All-Ireland performance a final performance next year that they didn't do this year but yeah I, I part of them I don't think they'll mind too yeah. much but part of them will be a bit arced by it because they are a team that generally styles themselves on playing really open football and wants to put up big scores and basically um, give the fans something to cheer about. Yeah, Breed, am I completely off base with that? You know, you've won so many All-Ireland yourself. Like, would you have minded at all if, if it wasn't the manner of yesterday when if you come in playing such good football and then you only maybe score 2-3 on the day and, and it's quite a, a, a kind of poor spectacle? Would any part of that kind of gnaw away at you or, or do you think it would kind of annoy the dubs? Um, look, I suppose I suppose it would. Like, um, like Dublin, I suppose they scored... Or sorry, they actually missed five boys as well in the second half, you know? So, so like... I suppose they were probably the team that started with way more intent in the second half. You know, they got a, a point straight away, like from from the throw in, like you know. But um, I suppose look, you have to look at it. Like, granted, it wasn't the spectacle, but all Ireland aren't won in sixty minutes. Um, you know, no doubt, like they were absolutely sick that they got beaten in the in the in the league semi final. I can imagine they went away and there was a, a lot of hard days training. There was a lot of hard runs done once knocked out to get themselves off peak fitness. Uh, absolute hours of commitment, and you know, I think they have they have scored something like nineteen goals, sixty eight points this championship. Like that's some going, and you know, they are deserving winners. I don't think they're going to be worried too much in the manner in which it was achieved. They got over the line when they needed to get over the line. They got the vital goals. Galway didn't, and I think you know that just sums it up. Like, uh, like both their goals as well, like came from hand passes into the square, and there was still there was still a bit of work to do. And I think Galway like will be. You know, they'd be devastated looking back on it because they were, I suppose, there were two chances that Galway's defenders kind of got caught, you know, maybe doing a small bit of ball watching, not taking the player in the in the most dangerous position. But look, Dublin, you know, followed through on them and, and got two goals out of them. And that was, that was the, I suppose, that was the big difference between the two teams on the day. Dublin went for the juggler, got the, got the results and, and Galway didn't. And I know before the game, we, you kind of talked about how Dublin had done so well to maybe bounce back from those very narrow defeats that they had to your Cork team. You know, so now, you know, they lost three finals in a row, and then they followed up by winning three in a row. Like, how would you sum up? I guess you know that achievement. Yeah, so look, I suppose look comes down to a, a bit of belief too. Like you know, um, like as I said before, you know, we had never won in All Ireland previous to two thousand and five, and I think it just takes you know if the right players are there. And if the the right attitude is there, if the belief is there, if the right people are in charge, 
And I think a lot of the time, you know, like we we were very lucky in a couple of All Ireland finals, and um, you know, Dublin probably will, when they look back were would be very thankful of those two goals, you know, um, that that came up yesterday. Like a lot is possible when all of that comes together. And I suppose, look, at the end of the day, it is a very simple game, you know, and it's just a case of, I suppose, all teams should be striving very, very hard for progress. And, and Dublin have been, you know, to, to have been beaten in three All-Ireland finals and to now be celebrating three in a row is, is a great feat. Yeah, Michael, it was a great weekend, I guess, for the Dublin football teams in general with the, with the five in a row as well. And there's speculation about Jim Gavin's future. And there's also, I think, a bit of speculation about Mick Bohan and whether he will stay on or, or what, what his future might be. Like, what do you think What do you think he might decide to do? There's definitely, there has been opportunities already at his door from to go back into the kind of men's game. I know he was, he was with Jim, obviously, and then he was with Colin Collins and Clare and basically went from Clare straight into the... with the Dublin ladies. Yeah, I don't know. Like... You could kind of see from maybe Gavin and Bowen's point of view that there could be a, a natural end in a way, as in, with just just say, for example, with Gavin, like if they are beaten next year, like he's not going to want to finish on a losing note, mm. so then, he'd have, then he'll come back. Same with Bohan, if they are beaten next year, if he's there the year after and they're beaten, he won't want to leave on a losing note and come back. So there's a possibility that that, that both could uh, that both could leave. I don't think Bohan will. There will be opportunities there, but I, 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 just, don't, I just don't see it. It's too much, there's too much more to come out of that team mm. to, to leave it. I think he probably would regret it if he left, and I just think they'll win another couple of All-Irelands, to be honest with you. It's kind of fine, hard to see it. Breeds, Cork are the, are the ones really that are most likely to stop them and it'd be interesting to see who comes in now instead of Ify Fitzgerald and kind of drives that ship forward. Yeah, and just on some of the other games yesterday, actually in contrast to the senior game, you know, the, the intermediate final between Tipperary and Mead was, you know, very high scoring, very entertaining and then even Loud beating Fermanagh, there was a lot of scores there but, but I guess the tip game was probably the most exciting one across the day. You know, Ashley Maloney had a great game. I think she got uh, seven points from play maybe. Um, you know, it was. What, what did you make of their performance? Yeah, Ashley scored eight points. I think there, like um, at the weekend, like absolutely, like fantastic skills on show. Um, and like I suppose Tipperary really set out their stall. They have some really, really impressive players. Um, I suppose they're a very, very young team still. But like you know, the likes of Ashley McCarthy, Ashley Maloney, Orla Dwyer, they're they had extremely high fitness levels and very good execution of skills. Very ruthless as well in front of goals. And I suppose. You know, their big intent and Ashling spoke about after the game was to get back up playing senior. They want to be in the mix, they want to be playing with the big dogs and I suppose now going into Munster Championship there's gonna be four teams in, in, in senior Munster Championship which is which is fantastic. Like, you know, and probably um will lend itself well to, to Munster teams that they're getting a lot more games in Munster. Um you then look at Dublin who are now I'm not really sure what position they're in. They're the only senior team, basically, um, in Leinster Championship with Westmeath having gotten relegated, um, who were their only contest this year. And now Meath, I suppose, who didn't get over the line versus Tipperary, so are still playing intermediate championships. So uh, I suppose it just kind of going forward, there's going to be a lot more um, challenges in, in Munster and a lot more games, a lot more, I suppose, progressions to be made. And, you know, I suppose, um, you know, it doesn't leave Dublin in a great position in terms of, um, I suppose, big match day practice. Yeah, do you think looking ahead to next year, will that benefit Cork, who are probably the closest challengers to them, you know, having that extra competition? Oh, yeah, sure, of course it has to. And actually, like even this year, 
you know, in Tipperary play Cork, they really pushed them to the pin of the collar. Like, Tipperary got over the line of the night. Granted, Cork were missing all their Mornaby contingent, really. But, you know, like, like all of these games, like, there's, and I can imagine Kerry will be building and coming a lot more as well next year. Um, Watford, like, got into a Munster final as well this year, um, as well as last year. So, you know, all those extra games can only benefit, can only help in trying out more players and getting ready for, for kind of, I suppose, hopefully the latter stages of championship. And Bree, just one last question before we let you go. You know, at the end of, I guess, another, what was a positive season overall for ladies football, albeit the final wasn't the game we, we'd hoped, but who, who would your player of the year be? Oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> player of the year. Um... He got you on the hop there, uh, Breed. So I'm yeah, going to talk. I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk for the next ten seconds and buy you a bit of time. <laughs> <laughs> good man, good man. Um, no, I suppose like like even yesterday, like Lindsay Davy. I suppose look, she, it was very uncertain. She seemed to be very uncertain. I suppose at the start of the year about playing with work commitments, and I suppose she's a lot of miles on the clock. Um, she's been playing with Dublin, you know, for 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 a very very long time. Um, she was there back, you know, in 2004. Um, she was there with them in their win in 2010. And she's, you know, still still there, still putting in the hard graph. Like, I think her hard graph, even in the first half yesterday, the tracking back, the turning over positions, her score straight away from the throw-in at the start of the second half, her assist to Sinead Ahern for, for a very important point and her assist to Hannah O'Neill for the vital second-half goal. Like yesterday, she was so deserving of player of player of the match. But like she has been doing this consistently all year, and um, you know, I suppose for me, she probably is. You know, probably like Dublin. While you were saying there earlier about Mick Bowen staying on um, or not, like their experienced players are the ones that really, really led the way um, yesterday. You know, and depending on how many years are, are left in those girls, like I think will will probably be a big factor as well in him staying on. But players like Lindsay Davy step up time and time again when the big match comes, and you know, I suppose she probably would be would be a stand up player for me this year. Well, Breed, apologies for that curveball. Um, <laughs> you're good. Uh, I'm sweating here now. There's sweat rolling down my back. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining us, and, uh, and you know, hopefully another great season next year. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully, yeah. And look, I suppose the gap is the gap is closing, which is which is what um, I suppose the fans want to see. They want to see highly contested matches, and I suppose you know, granted the the final wasn't the the big exhibition we were looking for, but you know, I think the semi-finals were highly highly positive this year, and you know, to get a, a figure of ten thousand people attending that in Crow Park and two excellent games, you know, the future is bright, and hopefully, you know, the the crowds will start attending those preceding games because there, there's plenty crackers on show definitely um, in the years to come. Great stuff, Bree. Thanks for joining us. Okay, no matter. Cheers, Cheers. Cheers. thanks, Bree. Thank you. Bye. Well, that's all the time for we have this year on the Tron podcast in association with Board Gosh Energy. But one quick reminder that this Friday in the Herald, we will have the final decade of the Dubbers magazine charting 2015 to 2019, which just so happens to be the five in a row time span. So all Dublin fans and GA fans in general will want to get out and buy that. So in the meantime, until next year, thank you so much for listening and goodbye. Board Gosh Energy. Putting customers at the core of under-20 and senior hurling championship action. Hashtag hurling to the core.